Welcome to The Intersection by Blue Water, your monthly podcast where we discuss the technology and solutions that amplify your organization's stories and leave a lasting impact on your customers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Intersection with Blue Water. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. As the experience economy has taken hold of the retail industry and really changed the purpose of brick and mortar in the retail ecosystem, so has the literal size of retail stores seen a pretty drastic change. We're going to be breaking down that concept here on today's episode of The Intersection, and here to give his perspective on the shrinking of retail, specifically brick and mortar stores, is Eric Thompson, Senior Sales Executive for Blue Water. Eric, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I think we need to start with a little context, something everyone can relate to. I'm sure you saw the Toys R Us news, but they're reopening. So they went bankrupt, and now they're deciding they're going to give it another go. Although this time around, they're not reopening the warehouse-style stores that we're used to seeing. We're going to get smaller stores. They're going to be inside malls. Uh, They're going to kind of already have that infrastructure built in, right? That foot traffic built in. It's not like they're having to build an entirely new Best Buy-sized store. And they're putting an emphasis on experience, events, testing toys. But the most exciting and different change is that they're going to literally be smaller. I'm guessing you thought that this was a good move. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that is a great move, and thanks for having me, Daniel, once again. And um, yeah, it's it, the the announcement last week is super exciting. I mean, Toys R Us is back. I mean, Jeffrey the Giraffe. I mean, we all know no one loved Jeffrey the Giraffe, and when they filed bankruptcy back in 2017, it was a it was a sad day for retail. Um, you know, there were nearly 800 stores that closed, and and it was just a, a really, really sad, sad thing to kind of go through. But uh, yeah, this new announcement that they've uh, that they came up with last week is is super exciting uh, to see the two new stores opening in Houston and New Jersey by the end of this year is even even better. So yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think it really encapsulates this trend that we're going to be breaking down today. Just this idea of going smaller, literally. And then using that smaller space in a refocused way, Um, they seem to be pretty linked. Yes, yes, they are for sure. And and kind of you know taking a step back a little bit, Daniel, there was a there was an announcement you know a couple years ago when we started to hear about this retail apocalypse and so forth. But there was an estimate out there by Steiner and Associates that. Retail is overstored by 1.2 billion square feet. Whoa! Uh, yeah, it, that's it, a bit much, huh? It's really stunning when you look at it, and and kind of when you break it down, you know, by country. I've heard estimates anywhere from you know 23 to 46 square feet per capita of of retail space in the United States, and you look at the other countries. I mean, we are just you know, leaps and bounds ahead of them. So I think, uh, you know, a right sizing of retail is is a very healthy thing right now. So you say it's right, right? It, like now is the time to be having this conversation and this change in retail. Do you think this change was born of a necessity that turned into opportunity or was it more of a creative experiment? People decided, you know, maybe things are too big. Let's see what happens when we go small. 
Yeah, and I think the the whole mentality of retail has changed, and we're all you know kind of experiencing that right now. And really, when I was you know first brought into retail about 25 years ago, yeah, most retailers would would use kind of the the mentality stack it high and sell it cheap, you know, as their approach. And and it was more of a shotgun approach to retail. And now everything is in 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 particular with technology included. It's very very laser focused. Yeah, and it's all integrated. The marketing, the layout of the store, what they're actually uh, you know, putting up on the shelves, and then how that gets mixed into some of the more aesthetic-leaning digital signage and experiences uh, that links back to customer service and the way employees interact with you in the store. It all becomes part of this larger ecosystem, and it's all really only possible... I think when you have less square footage that you're dealing with. Yes, you can have you can have less square footage and just be much more effective with today's technology. And you you brought up a good point there Daniel. Um we've kind of heard all heard the term omni-channel, you know, retail and so forth. I think, you know, a much better way to describe it is more of an integrated retail. And, and and with integrated retail, kind of what I'm talking about, obviously, is with, you know, the brick and mortar locations. But that also includes online shopping and, and more of a sophisticated inventory management system, customer experience, analytics. You know, this all blends together in just one really neat, uh, neat experience that uh, that I call integrated retail. So you've called this shrinking of retail, basically retailers wanting a smaller footprint. What does that really mean? You know, when you define smaller footprint, what all plays into this idea of shrinking, not just in size, but uh, maybe in other ways as a company? Yeah, and, and there's a lot of data out there and, and, uh, that, we can, that we can use for that. But really, kind of the biggest gauge I had was at a recent trade show that I went to and the all of the retailers that were in attendance were kind of interviewed on what their what their top uh, necessity is and really 90% of those retailers want a smaller footprint and I think that's uh, that's seen all over the map and and really some of the bigger players you know the Target and Walmarts out there are seeing that these smaller fit footprint stores are actually much more effective. And for instance, Target, you know, they're they're um, opening up 30 slim down stores this year, and only two full scale, you know, what we would refer to as big box stores. So these new slim down stores are averaging about 40,000 square feet, but they're actually some of the most profitable stores in the whole chain, and really just kind of designed for convenience and and relevant product and product curation uh, for those particular areas where they're at. So does shrinking the store end up having a direct correlation to scaling back business as well? Like, are, are these behemoth companies taking a breather and readjusting their business model? Or is this aesthetic and size change pretty isolated to just that aspect of the business? Um, actually, what what is happening Daniel, and that's a great question, is the, you know, what, what retail is seeing with, with online uh, sales in a particular area, 
they're seeing when a store actually opens in that particular area, they're seeing a 20 to 30% bump in online sales in that area. So so having the brick and mortar come into a particular area, you see online sales pick up as well. So if anything, it becomes almost like a, a, a marketing arm. Yes, yes, it, it, it absolutely does. And I think that, and that's kind of where I go back to the whole integrated retail, because brick and mortar ties very well with, with online, online ties very well with brick and mortar, and we're seeing it uh, play out all over. Yeah. And like we mentioned earlier, there's this connection between smaller size and putting an emphasis on technology in store. What does this link really mean? Um, you know, do, do you feel like the push for more technology has forced retailers to shrink? Or do you think it's more of retailers were forced to shrink and then realized they could take more advantage of technology in store? You know, I guess uh, chicken or the egg. Yeah, and I think it. Uh, you know, it's and unfortunately, it's not as as simple as that. I don't think. But, right. You know, I think it all kind of goes hand in hand, and and with just what the customers want these days. You know, customers. You know, we've we've all heard about customer experience, and that's probably the number two thing behind you know smaller footprints in the stores. But the whole customer experience, and and and. You know, the the consumers still want to go out and experience products in a retail environment. And there's just ways that online sales can't achieve the same thing. So I think it really, you know, it's it's a very, very complex uh, situation there. And I guess, you know, you can kind of make the argument both ways. But, uh, you know, like I said, I, I don't think it's quite as simple as that. Now, this emphasis on smaller brick-and-mortar stores, is this something that's also affecting staffing and the professional development of retail associates at these stores? Are they now having to fill new, fresh duties, more uh, customer service duties, or more experience or customer-focused duties that are then you know, having to restructure kind of the way you approach staffing or uh, professional development at your store? Yeah, I think staffing is is a real exciting thing uh, happening with the smaller stores. You're seeing, a, you know, the, a lot of the employees being able to become much more of an expert at some of these products. And for instance, you know, going back to the whole Toys R Us um, example we brought up in the beginning, the the whole model is kind of the retail as a service model. And what you have, if you've ever been in a beta store, beta is actually the, the, the one partnering with Toys R Us in, 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 uh, in kind of reviving the brand. But if you go into one of those stores, they actually are, are highly knowledgeable about every product in their store. And, and that's uh, one of the very unique things about that. And you'll also see sometimes um, you mentioned about technology um, being used. And, and you can actually, with technology, and I'll give a good example, for instance, with the RFID technology, radio frequency technology, you can actually make tabletop point of purchase displays that actually can sense when a customer picks up a particular item and, and explain different uh, information about that item. So it's, it's actually quite, uh, quite a fascinating thing to, to study. 
So what I think is really exciting about this shrinking retail trend is that as you shrink the store and you're forced to reassess how you handle your brick and mortar presence, it really gives companies an opportunity to get creative um, in crafty ways, um, in ways to cut costs, but also in ways to utilize technology, um, personalized product curation. Maybe we we speak to uh, specific layouts within the store that um, are experimental. Um, so I'd like to get some examples from you. Are you seeing any specific exciting opportunities that companies are seizing now that they're being forced really to assess their brick and mortar situation and shrink them down. Yeah, and and I think there are some some great examples of that Daniel out there. And a couple that I could speak to in particular, um, you know, Cole's department store. We've all we're all very familiar with that. I think there's around 1200 locations out there of Cole's. But they've they they have experienced a lot of 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 downsizing or right-sizing uh, of their stores. And in particular, they, uh, kind of an exciting or uh, relationship that they recently announced is with Aldi, the grocery store retailer. So in some of these stores that are 90,000 square feet, they'll, they'll section off uh, probably 30,000 square feet and then sublet that out to an Aldi store. So I think that's a kind of a unique partnership that we're seeing. And, you know, the the stores actually want to keep the same amount of, of, of locations out there because it, it has been shown to help with e-commerce. So that's that's a very important thing there. And the second example I, I'd like to bring up is kind of with a with an old time retailer that we all know and love is Nordstrom's. And you know they've been around for a hundred years, but Nordstrom's has done a, just a terrific job of embracing technology and kind of right-sizing their stores. Kind of starting in 2017 with the Nordstrom's local in Los Angeles. But a couple of things I want to bring up with Nordstrom's is they've they've got a new concept in two new locations in in uh, the West Village and Upper East Side in Manhattan, and they're calling them Nordstrom Outposts. And the really interesting thing is here, these stores don't carry merchandise, but they they actually are there to help fulfill online orders and to help with returns and so forth. And they, they, they also offer uh, custom tailoring for suits and so forth and, and personal stylists as well. So it's very, very personalized, uh, personalized experience there. Now, see, that's really interesting because that is an entire structural change that's happening in Nordstrom. The fact that they're investing money into a brick-and-mortar location that really doesn't supply anything for people to purchase but is more of a more of just a physical touch point for them to either fulfill online sales— or get things tailored. I mean, that kind of shift to a business model is is pretty pretty profound. Oh, it's it's huge, Daniel. And and as I mentioned earlier, when a you know when a store opens in a particular location, and and Manhattan was uh, was an area that did not have a uh, you know one of these Nordstrom stores in there, so it it was a, a good good time to do that. But what they see is is with the when a brick and mortar store opens, they see online sales in that area 
increased 20 to 30 percent. So it's it's a great example of that. Now, a potential downside to completely changing what your brick and mortar business model is as a company is that it could throw some customers for a loop. Um, and in essence, that could affect your brand, um, whether that is you know, financially, or it could just be an aesthetic image thing, the way people perceive your brand. You, you just kind of lose face as an organization. Um, have you felt that happen in any way, or have you seen any examples of companies that maybe don't quite grasp who their audience is or what they're looking for and then miss the mark during this brick-and-mortar shrinking? Or do you even think that's a concern that people should be worried about, you know, if they shift their in-store model that they're going to alienate or um, maybe throw off some of their customer base? Yeah, and Daniel, that's a great question. And I think it kind of all boils down to a retailer needs to know who their customers are. And there are examples, you know, what what we've talked about are, are kind of larger scale retailers across the country. But, you know, there are areas that... Uh, some people still like the, the the good old fashioned candy store or chocolate maker out there, and you know it's it could be kind of refreshing for them, you know, to to not have technology in some of these stores. But I think there are ways that 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 still technology can be used in an effective way, you know, to tell their story or to tell their history. And you know, one example I had uh, kind of brought up there was a uh, was a chocolate company. I met them at a, at a trade show not too long ago and brought up different ways for digital signage or, or customer interaction and so forth. And, and that customer was very, very adamant that they did not want any part of technology, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, but, uh, you know, as, as we kind of, you know, kind of talked a little bit through that, um, and I kind of wanted to understand, you know, why, why were they feeling this way? And really what it boiled down to was their brand and their hundred year old history of making, making chocolate the same way. And they didn't want uh, their customers to come in the store and feel like they're being bombarded, you know, by a bunch of videos and, and audio and so forth. But kind of as we, as we drilled down and I asked a lot of questions and so forth, they really wanted to tell their story. They had a just a fascinating story and a fascinating history. And, you know, to kind of leave it at that, it's like, well, you, to tell a story, you have to have, you know, the information on a wall and you have to tell it digitally or you have to tell it, uh, you know, kind of manually that way. So, uh, you know, they kind of they kind of warmed up a little bit to the idea of technology after we after we went through that. Yeah, and if you're a company that I think is willing to make the kind of change that is necessary with completely shifting what your brick-and-mortar business model looks like, you probably have a decent concept of who your audience is, um, and that's going to be informing the aesthetics behind your decision, the layout, the technology, the whole purpose of what that store is going to be. Um, you know, that's why I think Toys R Us, even if in essence, it's kind of strange to people to see a company go completely bankrupt and now try and come back. I think they understand who their audience is and what is needed, um, you know, in a brick and mortar experience for a toy store. 
Uh, you know, right now, kids can just buy whatever toy they want, probably at a cheaper price online, on Amazon, or on eBay, or whatever it might be. So why not create a space for them to test those toys, for them to interact with those toys, for them to, you know, for even parents to get a feel for, you know, before I drop $200 on this thing for Christmas, I'd like to see if my kid is even going to enjoy playing with it in the first place. The, you know, that kind of reframe for what your place is in um, in the home, you know, in in the relationship between a parent and their child. And I mean, really analyzing your company from that perspective, I think is really what's going to help elevate these brick and mortar changes. If you understand your company's place in the consumer's life. Yeah, I think, I think Toys R Us is a, it's just a, it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch how this unfolds. I mean, they've got the history and, and, and the, the, the market really understands the, the, the concept there, but this whole, you know, retail as a service, um, model that they're using is, is going to be very experiential and interactive, as you said, and the, you know, the amount of technology that's going to be packed in one of these uh, Toys R Us stores is going to be phenomenal. And they're going to have the companies that actually are participating in this model with Toys R Us are going to receive all kinds of sales and analytics on the customer interaction. You know, they're going to have sensors all over the store and, the, and, and, you know, not only machines monitoring, but but humans monitoring and seeing the whole interaction and so forth. So so that amount of data and uh, analytics that's that is going to be uh, identified from that model is is going to be really fascinating to watch. Now, my last point I wanted to bring up is. Uh, you know, I think another great opportunity for these brick and mortar stores is to almost treat them like pop-ups now moving forward. I think we saw um, over the last, let's say, five years, a pretty focused trend on the pop-up store. It's a great way to create buzz. It's a great way to um, engage maybe a, a new community just because of a new physical uh, location, which obviously wouldn't be the same with an established brick-and-mortar location. The concept of a pop-up shop being fresh every time you go to it, I think is something that this new wave of smaller brick-and-mortar stores can embrace because if the whole concept of the store is to be flexible, is to be you know a different experience every month or so, naturally you're going to get people wanting to come to that store, wanting to, you know, pay when they're there, wanting to purchase product or interact with product in a unique way. And that is, um, that is something that you can't really do when you've got a fixed structure to your store. So it, it's going to be interesting to see if anyone adopts that mentality to their smaller brick and mortar stores moving forward. Um, because personally, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, and 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 there's some great examples of of pop ups that are that are becoming very successful out there. And I think when you're as you're a retailer, and if you have a hundred thousand square feet of of, of space and a and a and a large uh, a large building to kind of maintain and and staff, your 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 thoughts are much different than if you're just a, a small pop-up shop. I think you can be much more experiential and, and, and very, you know, much more adaptable to the current situations with a pop-up uh, shop. And uh, yeah, just having, uh, you know, much less uh, risk out there. 
Couldn't agree more. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and giving us your thoughts on this trend towards a smaller footprint for brick-and-mortar retailers. You know, I think we're going to see a lot of new applications for technology, new methodologies for um, how technology is integrated into point of sale and how it's, you know, maybe integrated um, in more interactive ways. And I think this whole trend is going to come from an emphasis to reuse this smaller space and utilize this smaller space in a way that is going to engage customers every time they come in in a different way. And that's really only going to come from engaging technology, engaging customer service, uh, engaging aesthetics, you know, permanent aesthetics, just design of the space, layout of the space, um, staffing of the space. All of that comes from this focus for smaller stores. So I'm really interested to see how this affects retail permanently, um, if this is going to have a lasting effect. And I think we're just going to have to keep our ear to the ground to find out. So we'll have to explore that in a future episode of The Intersection. But till then, Eric, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Daniel. And, and just closing it out, like I always say, it's never been a better time to be in retail right now. Couldn't agree more. And thank you everyone for listening to today's episode of the podcast. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to bluewatertech.com thoughts. That's our blog page and you'll find plenty of other content from Blue Water. You can also find The Intersection on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.